what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Glenn, Pat, it's time for new ads. It is time for new ads. They have new sponsors. But we've also got some remaining ones as of well course. that we've got to bless them. So it turns out we're actually behind because people jumped into our Patreon and sent us much money and we didn't realize. Until they said, oh, what's happening? Yeah. Hey, where's our ads? Yeah. Here it is. We're doing it. You know where you should get dog training equipment in North America now? Who? Mojo Dog Co. Mojo Dog Co. Yeah, mojodogco.com mm. is a website. There's a real store. It's in Chicago. Yep. But it's a website you can totally go to and they pretty much sell everything. They've got mills. They've got training gear. They've got apparel. There's food. There's dog beds. Like it's a legit store. I've and been you've there. been there. I've you? been there, yeah. Yeah, I, you've I, witnessed I, it firsthand. You've I, um, smelt the odors. You've tasted the food. You've run on the mills. I committed theft. I stole a tub. <laughs> I think I was allowed to take it. Too late now. I've got it. I, yeah. I, I just trained with it today. So basically he's paying us Patreon money for you to steal his toys. Yeah. It's okay. a it's a great Klein tug. It's fantastic. A Klein tug? Yeah. Oh, it's you know who else sells a Klein tug? Uh, who? The Buffhead. The OG Buffhead. Really? Yes, he does. He does. Yeah. He, he, in fact, he does. I got from the Buffhead a Klein flirt pole which all the dogs favour over all the other ones. Really? Yes. They you like shouldn't that. allow toy preferences, Len. <laughs> <laughs> they, I, I don't. They do. They choose what they want. We have two places that you could get dog training equipment. Yes. MojoDogCode.com. Yeah, in North America. Yeah. And yep. Einzawina. Yep. Dot Buffhead. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you, know what, you know what's a really cool product? The Rowdy Hound dog kennel. It's the kennel that attaches, like it's a crate that attaches to your motorcycle. Yeah. So you can take your dog anywhere that you're traveling if you own a motorcycle and yep. you want to take your dog with you. If safely. I owned a motorcycle, safely. if safely. I owned a motorcycle or a dog that wanted to ride one, yep. I would 100% get one. I own a motorcycle. You should get one. I should get one. You should get one. I can see you a little Frenchie hanging yep. off the back of your motorbike. Mm. Yeah, I think that Mando would probably cause me to come off my bike. He yeah. would probably rock around like crazy on yeah. that thing. But, yeah, a little, little dog like what George Kittredge does, mm -hmm. who's a wonderful bloke and a dear friend of ours. Sponsor of the show. Sponsor of the show. And he takes his little blue healer, which mm -hmm. is an Australian dog. Mm -hmm. And George has been out here in Australia. He knows all about Australia. He mm -hmm. stayed in Australia. He's done it all. Mm -hmm. But he actually takes his little blue healer. And he rides her all around the state and he teaches other people how to do it as well with their dogs. So you know, not only does he sell the product, but he trains people on how to use it as well. That's great. It is. You know, he should get everybody to do a big road trip up to Canada. Yeah. You know what they could do in Canada? What's that? Go to Dancroft. Ah, oh, Dancroft. Geez, they could watch a puppy class there, couldn't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Woo. And they're doing seminars as well. Really? Yeah, they've got seminars, they've got teaching, they've got education. But as I spoke to Daniel, who runs Dan Croft, mm -hmm. he was telling me all about their amazing puppy classes and they do some kick-ass social media. Yeah, they do. They've got some pretty extreme type of breeds over there that they've got them all under perfect control, like all these American Staffies. They've got all these bull breeds that people complain about, whinge about and say they can't be trained. And mm -hmm. Dan Croft has them doing not only 
beautiful stays, but they also have them on balls. Mm. So they have the dog, Incredible. you know, like inside a tire and the dog's doing beautiful drop stays while they're at peace and at harmony and somebody's walking around, all the owners are there with the dogs. They're having a great time. Incredible. Yeah. Oh, I bet those dogs are well conditioned and healthy. Yep. Yeah. How would they do that? Probably the best way is to get yourself some canineceuticals. Hey, you've been using it. I have actually. No shit. Like jokes aside, Remy was circling the drain. He was in bad shape. And yeah. I said to Narelle, hey, I want to try and get him back in condition, mm. see how much longer I can get from him. Because like the mind is willing, but the body is weak. Yep. And so she hooked me up with all the right things and he's a million times better. In fact, he's actually better than he has been in you know probably two years. And you did a really cool social media content for Narelle the other day, which he really appreciated. I make sweet reels, bro. You do. Yep. You are pretty good with your reels. Again, all jokes aside, I'm not just saying this because Narelle's my wife. I make this very clear, but she what? Is, she's actually a genius with that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. When other people are sort of relaxing and kicking back, I know people are busy and they've got things to do, but Narelle reads white papers. She's doing everything. She's always looking how she can improve the standards in a dog's life. So like she actually amazes me. She's mm. very, very industrious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Mojo Dog Co. Yep. Einz a wiener. Einz a wiener. Mm-hmm. Rowdy Hound. Rowdy Hound. Dan, Dan Croft. Croft. Yep. yep. Thank you all very, very much. You guys sponsor the show. If you want to support the show, support them. Yes. They're the place to get the gear. Yeah. And if you get into Patreon and you tick that box, just know that we don't check that very often. <laughs> yeah, so you've got to tell us. You've got you you, you you to shoot us a message. Yeah, it's fine for you to let us know. We really appreciate you. We started off our shows talking about some of our new attributes, things that we've got. Yeah. And we would never have got that without Patreon support. It's That's Patreon right. that pays our bills. All right. Enjoy the show. And our sponsors. Enjoy the sponsors. <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. That's good. Let's get straight into it. I put a post up on our social media a while ago, which is our Instagram social uh-huh. media, I should say, which has been doing quite well. And mm-hmm. we've been getting the numbers up. And I just yeah. looked at it today. It took ages to get to 10K. And mm-hmm. now suddenly our numbers are pumping up a little bit more. You which did is, it. I did it. You did it. 10K was the mark. I just wanted to get to 10K. Yeah, it was yeah. just in my mind I had to get to 10K. And yeah. I actually wanted it to say 10K, which it does now, yeah, instead yeah. of like being an arbitrary number. Yeah. And that was just in my mind. And then I kind of like took my foot off the accelerator a little bit, but it's still building momentum and people Uh are still getting behind it and supporting. And I'm still putting posts up that are interactive and getting people Uh to get behind it. But there was one that I put up. Do we still have a Twitter? We have a Twitter. We have a Twitter, but I- Now that Daddy Elon's taken over, maybe we should be Maybe we should get back into it, yeah. (laughs) I've been trying to use it. I just don't know how to use it. I don't know what to post. I don't know. Well, it's because we're not mindless celebrities with- (laughs) (laughs) Shit dribbling out of our mouth to say to people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are just two dudes who shit dribbling out of our mouth to say to people. That is true. not celebrities. That's true. But we could buy blue ticks now. So eight bucks a month. Eight bucks. We could get it. Yeah. Well, they got to pay the bill somehow, according to daddy. (laughs) Back to the post that I put on Instagram. Mm -hmm. It was a quote by Susan Friedman, Dr. Susan Friedman, Mm -hmm. I will have you know. Mm -hmm. And it says, the key question, not how do I stop this problem behavior? Rather, the question is, what do I want the animal to do instead, then teach it? Mm -hmm. And I like the quote, Mm -hmm. but I don't like the limitations to it. Mm. 
what I believe it's referring to, and I looked a little deeply into it and what other people have said about it, and a lot of people who made comments in, thank you very much to people who liked it, shared it, and commented on it. What they were saying was, yeah, they agree with it about teaching incompatible behaviours. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I agree with teaching incompatible behaviours. But again, it doesn't address, I guess, the sidestepping around punishment. Mm. And it's one of the things that I, I ask a lot of people when they do talk about these things, why have you not considered punishment as part of this paradigm? Mm-hmm. You can just tell they're uncomfortable with that discussion. Mm. Jack responded on the Facebook side of it because it posts both to Instagram and mm-hmm. Facebook. And Jay was talking about, because I put up my concerns about why are we not talking about positive punishment? That seems to be something which people want to sidestep. They just don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Negative reinforcement is the sexy thing. Everyone wants to talk about it. And largely because that's more what people do, even people who don't realize it. But positive punishment seems to just be the devil's dick. Mm. And nobody really wants to get on that peg. They just want to avoid it altogether. And I just don't think that there is a world that I know of where positive punishment isn't a matter of fact, mm. whether you like it or not. To reference this a little bit more deeply, with students occasionally from time to time, we watch clips from animal programs, Nature is Metal or National Geographic excerpts or something like that. And there are times where you watch animals within their own species, how they're correcting each other mm-hmm. using bouts of positive punishment. And yet it's still something that we, sh- we largely try and avoid in conversations. People still don't want to talk about it. They do it, but they don't want to talk about it. They mm. don't want to have that conversation. A lot of people that I really sort of started digging into and started putting the herd on them and saying, let's talk about it. I want to talk about it. I want to have it as part of a conversation. And in a minute, I'm going to pass to you because I'm interested in your thoughts on it. But what I've been saying to them is, why is it that you feel that you can't talk about it? And it's the stigma mostly, that Mm -hmm. people feel it's the stigma in society. It's largely the same way people feel about the use of tools, certain tools and talking about tools and using tools. Like we've come under fire from people, colleagues in here before where we've talked about punishment, where they've had disagreements, which they're entitled to do. As long as they're they're right, as long Mm -hmm. as what they're saying is correct. Mm -hmm. It's fine to disagree with somebody, but there's no point in that unless you're correct and you can offer some sort of salient discussion around it that there's evidence that what they're saying is correct and you need to correct what you're talking about. Incompatible behaviours, yeah, I agree. It's great. You can do it. You can teach dogs to work on something else so they can't do that behaviour that they were doing. But what's it to say that the animal's not going to say, okay, well, I can't do it now because the opportunity doesn't present itself, but what about the time when the opportunity does present itself Mm. and the animal still hasn't learned not to deal with that? Mm. If we start talking about counter conditioning as the go-to, the fruit of how to resolve this problem, that's wonderful. And yes, it works to degrees, but it still doesn't address it if you want to do it and it's just momentarily being put on hold. And I guess that's where I'm edging my discussion in around these sort of areas is what happens when you want to return to the behaviour. Like, yes, you know you can't because the opportunity is not presenting itself. And it's, as we said before, it's incompatible at that point in time. But what happens when it is compatible and you want to do it? Mm, Yeah. I think the way that we train this kind of stuff with dogs, it's sort of interesting in, I think you're right, like negative reinforcement in those sorts of instances is much more in vogue currently. Mm. And I think it's because of the influence of like the idea of using differential reinforcement, right? So like, you know, if a dog is doing anything, it's self-reinforcing, you know, why does a dog do anything? It's a better time situation. So if it's doing something, it's because it wants to do that. Yeah. It gets some value from doing it, whatever it is. On the topic of punishment, 
we hear like all these things that punishment can cause, right? Like all these issues that punishment can cause. And I think you know, we have to be careful to sort of divorce ourselves a little bit from the idea of that because punishment really can't cause anything. Like every behavioral problem that any dog has ever had has been caused by reinforcement. Mm. Reinforcement has created every problem behavior that any dog has ever caused a problem for its owner. But when we want a dog to do something else, like I'm on board with the idea of giving dogs good guidance and shaping and molding them into doing the things that we're, they're meant to do. Yeah, you must be. But I've kind of flip-flopped a few times and I think it's like, or not flip-flop, but I've changed the way that I describe these things. And in a little bit, I've changed the way that I would train it. Like when I face those issues is you're right, is using negative reinforcement away from the problem behavior into the correct behavior or is using punishment in the moment to take the problem behavior off the table and then using positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement if necessary to teach what you do want the dog to do given the stimulus, Mm. right? And I think not too many trainers really can identify the difference between the two. And I think, first of all, a lot of people who don't use tools of compulsion and, you know, don't understand how they're used, they wouldn't be able to tell the difference full stop. They wouldn't know the difference, wouldn't be able to tell the difference. If you're using a tool, it's bad, right? Like Mm. that's the, the rhetoric. But I think a lot of people who would use those tools still maybe don't recognize the idea that. Sometimes I hear people say like, I would punish the dog or very often the term is correct, right? Like I'd give the dog a correction. And I think that's too much of a blanket term that just goes over the use Mm. of pressure in general rather than something specific. So I think lots of trainers wouldn't identify and put themselves in the dog's position and determine, am I using punishment to stop the problem behavior that I want to go away? And then now that I have a clean slate or my dog is looking for a new answer, I can use either positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement to whatever, or combination thereof to teach the dog what I want them to do, given that stimulus. Mm. Or am I just using straight negative reinforcement away from the problem behavior into the behavior that I think is desirable? And I think for the most part, People probably think that it doesn't matter, but I think it matters very much. And I think there's probably, I think there's probably three instances I can think of where it becomes a real issue. And the first is the problem with negative reinforcement is, as we know in using it to train flashy, powerful behaviors, is that you can play that kind of spicy game of negative reinforcement, right? Mm. Where the dog can enjoy finding out where the limits are and pushing that because they know, like the whole premise of negative reinforcement being that it's escaped and then avoided. And so when the pressure starts, the dog's like, no, I know the behavior that will turn this off. That's how it works. That's what makes it negative reinforcement, not punishment. It can be escaped. You've begun the pressure, but by demonstrating a particular behavior to you, you'll stop the pressure. Mm. So some dogs will continue to push the limits because of the fun that's involved in that. I think specifically counter surfing, this is one where you see that quite a lot is the dogs like, well, there's a strong lure onto the counter, right? There's food or whatever that's up there. And I can play the game of, can I get to it before you have the opportunity to give me the, what people will refer to as the correction, right? Like the leash pop, whatever it is. And that alone can be inherently fun and motivating to the dog to do that, right? Like, can I make it? If I do, I get the thing that I'm getting up there to eat, the positive reinforcement that makes counter surfing more likely. But if you catch me mid-act, maybe I get a bite of it or I, you know, I don't, but the attempt is fun. And when you go for the collar pops or whatever, I like quickly get all four feet on the floor and you'll stop. And so the dog can get stuck in this game of playing that. And Mm. so 
Seldom is that detrimental to the dog if the dog's playing the game of that. It could stress them out, but like if they get trapped, I think that, you know, in a more specific example, sort of high, it's the same thing happening, but in a much more higher arousal. We see this with like dogs that bite the helper in the obedience, you know? So the decoy will be standing there agitating the dog. Someone's healing past. The dog takes a cheap shot at the decoy, like gets dirty, knows that the correction will come for that, the pressure on the prong or whatever, but he knows also that all he's got to do is get back to the heel and it'll stop, yep. right? And it was worth it. Yeah. It was, so, worth it. it was worth the effort. Yeah, and worth it in two ways. Like gets the bite maybe and enjoys that, but also that like did I beat you? Could I get there quicker than you could manipulate your mm. leash in order to stop me? And I think that's just inherently fun for dogs, especially dogs. Like we kind of rely on dogs enjoying that in order to – teach with negative reinforcement, especially with those high drive behaviors. We're kind of relying on the dog enjoying that game. That's Mm. how negative reinforcement works. I think that's one of the issues in just sort of looking at the tools that you would use to stop a problem behavior is really identifying, are you starting an incompatible behavior or are you stopping that behavior? Mm. And a lot of the times it doesn't matter. You know, most people, like I say, couldn't really determine which it's just in those specific examples where it causes an issue and that the first is the dog that's kind of enjoys that game. I think that's definitely a problem that we face. The other one is often sometimes people teach an incompatible behavior that isn't always possible. That's a good point. The best example I kind of use in this one is fence fighting. So really often you'll see dogs that in their yard or front yard, whatever, they fence fight with the dog next door or dogs that walk past or whatever. And so if we're going to use tools of aversion, we're going to use a, like, you know, very often we'd use an e-collar in that circumstance. Mm. Well, because of the prior learning of the e-collar, most people have used it for a recall. Most people have used it for, you know, obedience behaviors that usually have some sort of level of proximity around them. Most dogs that haven't been specifically trained to feel differently about the e-collar are very likely to recall with the e-collar. When the dog's, you know, he's fence fighting, whatever, and you decide, okay, I'm going to create an aversion around this, he starts barking, whatever, and people use the stim. More often than not, I think, when the dog stops barking, he's actually not stopping barking. What he is doing is returning to you as commanded by the Mm e-collar. And with some gusto, because it's a spicy game, that there's an aversive consequence, i.e. pain compliance, by not returning to you. And so as trainers, we go into the yard, we stop the fence fighting type behaviors and we don't realize that we didn't really stop fence fighting type behaviors. We actually trained the incompatible behavior of being next to us. And that's fine in our training session. And so long as we're in the yard, that's also fine, right? It's not until we're not in the yard and our training sessions, the dog's free and he's in the yard by himself. And I think most people, if you think about this, you can cast your mind back and like if you've ever done this kind of training, you probably can think of a time where you thought you fixed the issue and then the dog's by himself. And if you are able to observe him, he looks around, like he sees the trigger, he sees the approaching dog, the stimulus, and says, okay, that makes me want to bark. I know I'm not meant to do that. In fact, that presentation of that stimulus means that I must recall to the handler or else, you know, there will be pain compliance. He tries to look for the handler, realizes he can't, and then is like, well, fuck it. Off I go. Yep. Right? I'm, I'm off to go bark. So I think that's one of the big problems. And I think the other, the third one, the accidental use of negative reinforcement when you really mean to use punishment is when people sort of lose their nerve in completion. Like they've let the dog commit to the problem behavior too much. And the tools of aversion they would use is not enough to stop it. Mm. And so while the dog is doing the behavior, the problem behavior, they apply some sort of pressure in order to try and punish or use negative reinforcement. It doesn't matter what their intent is. It doesn't matter which one you meant to do. 
if the dog's doing something, you apply pressure and he continues doing it and then you lose your nerve for whatever reasons. And maybe you should, like if it's getting out of hand, maybe you should stop. But the issue is he continued doing what he was already doing and the pressure stopped. So you reinforce the problem behavior. In fact, you probably- You, you, you probably built it. Yeah, you probably strengthened mm, it. Yeah. In fact, you may even be able to activate it with that same amount of pressure later on because you know we know this because it's exactly what we do on purpose when we want to strengthen behaviors. Yeah. The example of that is you, know, you see a detection dog indicating, giving his final condition response. Everybody's probably seen this or you can think of an instance of it. You can find a video of it where the dog is fixated, focusing on the scent and the handler will try and pull him off of the scent. He'll use his you know, flat collar or whatever and he'll try and drag him away. And the dog's like, no, 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 I'm definitely correct. And the handler will then release the pressure and that confirms to the dog, yes, you were doing the right thing, the release of the pressure and then mm. the reward that follows up. But also then later that same handler will be able to via that same type of collar pop activate searching because the dog will know that's a cue to do it. So I think that's the three instances that I can think of where using negative reinforcement to teach an incompatible behavior can actually bite you in the ass quite badly. Like I said, I don't think everybody is using negative reinforcement on purpose, like to teach an incompatible behavior. What I mean is that maybe they're just using pressure generally, right? Because they're a balanced trainer. They think, yep, I'm going to use the tools of compulsion to get this done. And because now we've all been programmed to know that we'll think that we should be doing an incompatible behavior, they don't think to isolate the problem behavior and take it off the table for the dog. Mm. It's usually straight into teaching the other thing. And therefore it's always going to be negative reinforcement. The pressure that you use is always going to be negative reinforcement if it has a particular outcome mm. rather than a stopping outcome. Thinking on the original quote by Dr. Susan Friedman, mm -hmm. I was doing a little bit of researching around the internet on what other people were saying and how they felt about it. I don't believe that people are even considering using any type of negative reinforcement, positive punishment aspect. Mm. They're simply looking at as a plus R approach of if the dog is doing this behavior, offer the dog an alternate behavior, Yeah, again, which is incompatible to the behavior that they're doing, so they can't complete that behavior because it's just completely incompatible. Having that discussion with a few people online, there was return criticism, I guess, where people would then say, it sounds like you're just trying to set the dog up to punish it. Mm. My response to that and thoughts around that is, well, how do you stop it? Mm. How do you stop it? Because even with a case example that you used before is once the dog is done with a certain scenario and key indicators aren't in place, like certain cues such as the handler being present or the owner being present, then the dog returns to the behavior because it knows I can. Mm. There's no reason not to do this. I actually enjoy it. I have some sort of relief from it. Yeah. It may be confronting it may be a bit stressful but it's also relieving and it's giving me an activity something to do while i'm in this backyard by myself so that's just one of many things but it's often that issue around itself where people look to these how do i resolve these issues now some people have which i've looked at their own social media platforms have largely said through a long-term arduous program they've managed to significantly reduce it and i agree with them mm. they have I've watched their social media. I can see that there have been net positive gains with the dog. The dog is doing much better. But that's one person who's prepared to put in that legwork. That's not traditional of what people will do. They won't give the dog that level of chance. So what for the other person who doesn't fit that category where they're prepared to play the long game with the dog mm. of that plus R approach and that incompatible behavior. What then? Mm. That's the question I just want to ask people to consider. It's not that I'm setting them up or suggesting that if you've never used 
those type of punishments or consider the use of tools that, that you have to and that's all your opportunity is. If you're one of these people who is prepared to play the long game and give the dog that chance, hey, power to you. That's impressive that you've got that much stamina. To endure that with the dog, endure the disdain from the public and the community and be able to isolate yourself and do all the things that you can do. That really is quite a powerful experience to have to go through. That's no small task. I guess the question that I'm asking is, is that the only suggestible outcome you've got? What about people who can't do that? It just isn't going to fit into their scheduling. Mm. What have, if, have you got a behavior in mind that you're thinking of? Like, Yeah, well, it's mainly reactive aggression or okay. fence fighting and so forth. Because, mm. I mean, traditionally we get a lot of dogs that come to us. I mean, most people who offer behavioral modification training, that's a large part of the business that comes to you. Mm-hmm. And the reason is... You know, when you speak to people, and I've just had a client that came in today, and it's not the reason this ticked over in my mind, but it's just one of 10,000 dogs that we've trained Mm -hmm. over years of being involved in, not just me, I'm talking about, you know, people I've been involved in. I'm not saying I've trained 10,000 dogs. One of many things where people come into and they say to you, the lead up to it is, I've tried this and I've tried that. How did you try it? It was suggested to me by another trainer to try it. And there's no harm in that. There's no harm in suggesting to people, as we've discussed before with the use of force continuum, start at the phase of being present and then work your way up to where you have to. Consider what use of force you have to use. It's the same thing in training. But the problem is a lot of them just keep saying, well, I've been told this, I've been recommended to do this. And you can just see the look on their face. It's just full of defeat, Mm. you know, like, and basically the feeling of I'm a piece of shit. Mm. Number one, I can't solve this problem. Number two, I don't have the relationship with my dog that I'm told I should have. Number three, I've hired trainers before and I've received their disdain as well because Mm. they're tried and proven method, which is not tried and proven. It's just suggested, but it's it's a method that doesn't work for them. And I guess that's for me, that's frustrating because I see a lot of people that come to us and you can just see anxiety. The last lady we had was racked full of guilt over this whole thing. She's on SSRIs. She's done all that. She's had a trainer that came in and basically told her that she's three shades of useless. And you can just see the complete and utter defeat that is circling them. And they're circling the drain on options other than that. First of all, which is quite sad, is we literally have to talk them off the edge. Mm. It's mainly a counselling session to tell them you're worthy and you're okay. Mm. And you're one in a million people who are going through the same thing just in Australia. Do you think that's probably... There's big issues with a lot of the sort of fraudulent dog trainers. Oh, man. Terrible. It's actually something that's been high on my mind lately because there's a lot going on. And, and you know, we always... I don't want this show to be the, like, Pat and Glenn whinge about bullshit in the industry, but I feel that coming is that the sort of fraudulent force-free people, I have great reverence and respect for some of the trainers who don't use tools in the same way I do or don't use them at all because there's some really good trainers who actually can train. There is. But the majority of the sort of really outspoken, you know, people who say that they're plus R or whatever and, and work in behavior modification, a lot of them, you know, they don't actually sort of achieve any results and the dogs that they do, they secretly use compulsion when no one's looking and often quite poorly, and that they still get decent results, right? One of the most insidious parts of that sort of trend is the way that it leaves the clients feeling when they don't achieve results, Mm. right? Because they say to people, well, this will work, this differential reinforcement. Like you've got this dog that is fear reactive 
and he's barking at these other dogs and you don't want that. So just paying him for not doing it, constantly paying, 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 pay everything that isn't that, give him food all the time. And they don't really understand behavior. They don't really understand shit. They probably have never really trained a dog. Their own dog that they use a demo dog is like a little white fluffy thing or whatever that, you know, had no issues. So they get to say, look, my dog is great because it just is a sort of low drive dog that doesn't do much. Amidst all the bigger problems of people like that we have in the industry, I think that the biggest issue is the way that they leave the human beings feeling exactly Mm. as you said there is that they leave them feeling useless or like they're the problem and that they've let their dog down. They rob them of hope. Yeah, because they're Mm. like, well, you just have to keep doing it. And it's like, yeah, but I've been doing it and and all I've done is confuse my dog or it's gotten worse or whatever and it's been six weeks and I'm doing exactly what you say to the letter. And escalated it it in correlation to what they've been told to do. Yeah, Like this lady who's, again, one of thousands of people, has escalated it to the point where she's been told, do these training methods, don't do this, don't say that, don't behave like this, don't say no to the dog, don't scold the dog. Mm. Escalated it to, okay, now you need medication, you need to go to the vet. Been on medication since July, has seen only marginal improvement, mm. just marginal. I said, well, that's still something. Mm. That's still something. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying whether the dog should be or should not be on them. That's the discussion for her and the vet to have. But as you were alluding to before, and certainly the concerns that I have when I'm looking at those type of things, is I believe in all the correlating resources available to trainers. I believe in the matrix, the whole quadrant or whatever you want to call it. I believe in it. I know it works. I've seen it work before. The dog that I still worked with out there, and again, you know, as I said to the lady, she saw immediate results when I handled the dog. I hope I can do that after the time I've been in the industry. I said to her, what do you think? She said, that's much better than what anybody has done with a dog. Mm -hmm. And I said, listen, I'm not going to expose you to a smoke and mirror session here because a lot of people would have you think that it's done, it's solved, it's Mm -hmm. fixed. I said, all we did was just kick the top off the scab today. That's literally all we did. And I said, it was a good session. You know what? The dog did get a positive punisher off me. It got Mm -hmm. one and it got several negative reinforcement sessions as well with a slip lead. However, the majority of the time was spent marking and feeding the dog. And yeah. then after we finished the session, we wrapped it up. It was very successful. The dog did a great session, took the dog back in the shed and kicked the ball around. She said, fuck, you know, the dog loves you guys more than it loves me. That's the thing that really pisses me off. Here's, yeah. the, here's the linchpin where other people in the industry would say that those sessions only lead to bond diminishing outcomes, mistrust and fear towards the person. Yet that dog preferred me. To the handler of the uh, the actual physical owner of the dog, yeah, and momentarily, I'm not saying long term, but it preferred to play with me. It sat at my feet. It was playing retrieve with me. I guess the ratio of punishment to positive reinforcement was two percent to ninety eight percent in the entire outcome. Mate, you know this. I'm not teaching you how to suck eggs. I'm having a conversation where other people can listen along and talk about this before. That's the majority of sessions where we're talking about the use of effective punishers. And I will add that word in there because I think that's the most important word that I was ever taught as a trainer was the word effective. Mm -hmm. Because punishment is one thing, but effective punishment is an entirely different thing altogether. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people punish, but it's ineffective. It's not effective punishment. It's not well-timed. It's not at the threshold it needs to be. There's probably not enough understanding or coaching around that, which is the fears of people out there when punishment is given. It is that it is like a lag of what happens when punishment is given. It's Well, 
that's an interesting one to explore is the availability of education on how to use punishment mm. effectively, right? But you're shunned from doing that. Like yeah. if you are tormented into thinking about any form of punishment and this lady and many other people who have come have said exactly the same thing. I feel that was not an option for me to explore. But I mean, even as dog trainers, see like it's really easy to teach someone to use positive reinforcement because we can just build any behavior that we want, yeah. right? So like if I have someone come to me and they say, hey, Pat, I want to learn, you know, how to play with a dog better or whatever, right? Like we can work on their positive reinforcement sure. game. We can do that. Same as when we're shaping. We say, like, just pick any fucking behavior. Who cares, right? Like, where it doesn't matter. We're going to build something for the sake of building it. And this is more about the journey of building it mm. rather than having the behavior. I think the issue we kind of face is with punishment, like, it's to get rid of something. And so we only have the opportunity. It, it's hard to teach people how to use punishment because you need and not like a, a dog that's in a position where a behavior is causing us an issue and we need it to be punished away. It's what I often find is, you know, when I teach at seminars and like I was just last week, I was with a bunch of police and they're all working dogs, right? Like mostly detection, a couple of GP, a couple of like siege type dogs as well. And so because they're dogs that are trained to do, when I explain how to use punishment and stuff, that's really more of a dog in development kind of thing, mm, right? Mm. Because if the dog's working the street and for the most part in the dogs that I deal in, it's we're training dogs to do stuff. So we are using any pressure that we use for the most part is negative reinforcement. We're building do actions, really not don't do actions. And I usually kind of cross my fingers is that, geez, I hope there is a dog in this group. And there always is one, right? That has a problem that the handler's like, no, I have a punishment. Like I have a, you know, when I explain punishment and how to use it and I want to give a demo, it's not a guarantee that I'm going to get that demo. For the most time we do. And in fact, just last week we did it with like a siege dog that, you know, got distracted at the kennel. And all we did was just stop him. It was an isolation type punishment rather than a, a like a positive punishment. It was more of a negative punishment. Yep. But at least it gave allowed us to give a good demo. Whereas what I mean is like if someone comes to me and we go and we're going to train, we may not have a, an opportunity to give an effective punisher, mm -hmm. especially if we're in the training of doing. So regardless of whether how people feel about it, right, like whether we're fighting the battle of the ability to do it or the ethical, you know, whatever, take all of that off the table, just having the opportunity to use positive punishment effectively, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen in your learning, you know, the week that you spend with the trainer, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. Mm. And I think the other thing as well is like punishment done effectively it works really fast in three reps. It's done mm. for the most part. So if you're going to, you know, if you're shadowing someone and they're going to go and see this dog, as you say, in that session, there's, what did you give? What did you say? You give one proper punishment and then use negative reinforcement a few times. And then the most part is that positive reinforcement delivery and, and bonding with the dog and playing with the dog and feeding the dog and that kind of stuff. So, you know, blink and you miss it, right? Like mm. that's kind of the issue with learning to do that stuff, regardless of, people's morals and ethics and availability, blah, 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 all that, regardless of all of that, just having the opportunity to learn to do it well, there aren't that many places that do it. And because it does require to set the dog up, that's one of the things that pisses me off when people are like, oh, you set the dog up in order to give the punishment. It's like, oh, fucking course I did because 
I want to be able to deliver the punishment effectively. I'm not going to just put the dog in the arena, leash off and go, good luck. That is the stupidest thing ever. That's not setting the dog up. That's just creating the opportunity let, yeah. for the behavior to manifest, which is going to anyway. Exactly. So but I'm mm. going to make sure that the beha- the problem behavior happens yep. in a way in a way, at a place, at a time, when I can deliver the consequence to the dog and have the learning outcome that I want, mm. right? Like when people say, oh, you set the dog up so that he can be punished, it's like, no shit. And if you don't do that, you're fucking doing it wrong. Mm. Like that's how you're meant to do it. And as I often teach, if I intend to use punishment, if there's a behavior that I need to get rid of, usually for me, that is the whole point of the session. It's very rare that I would haphazardly use punishment. I'm in a session, say like with my own dog, and something goes wrong and I'm going to be able to punish him in that moment. More often than not, I'd be like, okay, noted, and we're going to probably end the session. If It depends on what it is, right? But I'm going to set up so that I have the opportunity to communicate that super clearly to the dog in the most clear and concise way possible. I need to whinge on that. I need, to, I need to whinge on it. How is that? And I know you already know the answer, but how is that setting the dog up when you're recreating the event which the dog would normally react to? Well, the argument is that you should just use management. Like if the dog is going to react in a certain way and you know it, you shouldn't go into that situation. That's what people will say. Yeah. But then it requires that you do that for the remainder of you and the dog's life. Right. Yeah. It's not that that statement is incorrect. The statement is correct. It doesn't have the addition of the use of punishment. Yeah. Because it's through the eyes of the author who put that statement together, I guess it's somebody who doesn't want to use punishment and has considered that the best option is to use an incompatible behaviour. And reiterating my points on that, if that's working for your dog and you're getting benefit out of that, then yes, go ahead and do that. That would be the best suggestion that I could give you. If you can manifest a better lifestyle for your dog by giving the dog an incompatible behaviour and the dog goes, you know what? I don't want to do that other behavior because this behavior is far more beneficial for me and you. And I like doing this and I like where it takes us. I like the feel of it. I like the relationship and the bond that's created out of it. Great. Wonderful. You won the internet for the day. Sincerely, I'm happy for you. The only problem is that, and the only reason that I sound so snarky about it is because I'm on the receiving end of people who have failed that advice Yeah, in thousands. Well, I mean, that's the thing. If it works, that you just use nothing but positive rein. If you've got a problem behavior and the dog's doing it and it's, it's, it's a Mate, big if issue. if it worked, we wouldn't have an issue with overflowing welfare agencies that are just inundated with dogs that they can never keep up with. Yeah. If using nothing but positive reinforcement creates a new behavior that is stronger than the old behavior that you didn't want to punish, right? You chose to just use positive reinforcement to teach new behavior. The other behavior wasn't very strong anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it, it wasn't really a, it really wasn't, it wasn't an issue. Yeah. So like, I'm not saying that doesn't work. That works all the time, but on very low key kind of things. Yeah, so, if you're that prepared to give it up, then it really didn't mean that much to you. Yeah. yeah so, exactly. you know, like you, you have an example of the dog that goes and charges to the front door when someone comes over and, and it's just, a, it's, it's a social dog. It just is excited about being there and you go, okay, cool. Like, Hey man, you just got to go over here and sit on this mat and I'm going to give you food here. Like in a few reps, you can totally teach that no big deal. Right. And that's the sort of thing that a lot of people will hang their hat on and go, look, I taught this incompatible behavior. The dog was doing this of mm. going over there and now he's doing this. And it's like, yeah, but both of those are really like just social happy dog behaviors. And you just convince the dog that there's more value in doing one than the other. Cool. Awesome. And I would probably do the same. Why not? Right. But when the dog is convinced that the other dog is going to kill it, if it doesn't react the way that it does, it'll die. Mm. Well, good luck fucking teaching with a bit of food to go to the bed instead of dealing with that dog. Or when you've got hardwired 
prey in the dog, like where it's like, no, I'm going to kill that sheep. I'm going to do it. I've Mother Nature says I have to, and mm. so I'm going to. And the truth of that is even punishment in that instance, you're going to have to do that every few years. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you, like that's going to come back around. So the truth is if you've got a dog that, say, you know, wants to chase sheep and kill it or, or prey, whatever, right, like you're trying to deal with the cat or whatever next, you know, even if you use positive punishment and you take that behavior off the table, chances are every few years you're going to have to do that again because mm-hmm. that instinctual drift, like that comes back. The dog's like, mm, it's worth me trying out and making sure that's the case again. So the idea that you're going to be then like, I'm just going to use positive reinforce, I'm going to teach an incompatible behavior to that, and then we're done. Like that's lifelong. You're going to be doing that for the remainder of the dog's life. Even if it does work, you're still going to have to be putting that value into that all the time. Mm. And it only takes like one instance of failure where the dog says, nah, fuck this, I'm not going to the bed doing the thing you want, I'm chasing the the thing. And now he's at a variable reinforcement schedule of that and you strengthen the shit out of the problem behavior, like good luck upping the ante of your reinforcement schedule and history at the other place for him to make that decision. And again, there'll be people that say, no, but I've done that and it worked. And it's like, yes, but probably not with the dog that was really committed to the problem behavior. Like, of course, there's instances where it can be taught using nothing but positive reinforcement as an incompatible behavior. And cool, go for it. Like, absolutely, I've done that plenty of times. But it was never really a very serious problem behavior. It was just like a bit of an annoyance or something the dog kind of was a little bit into. Not like something that the dog was hardwired genetically to do or thought that it survived in the behavior, thought that it was safe because of that behavior. Mm. I think that's what gets kind of overlooked, right? Like if a dog thinks that it is safe because it's doing a particular behavior, that's negative reinforcement, right? Like, yep. and that's, that's how it works. And so no amount of positive reinforcement for an incompatible behavior is going to outweigh that because he's not going to give up like, oh, well, I'll go and get the yummy treat that you gave me and be completely unsafe. He's going to choose safety first. He Mm. has to do that behavior that he believes keeps him safe. And so the reality of all organisms is that they're just seeking safety and comfort. And so if there is a behavior like that, the trick is to show them that they are safe and it's not addressing it directly. It's not teaching an incompatible behavior. You may end up having to use some form of compulsion at the pointy end of it, but for the most part, it's like desensitizing the dog to the thing, not teaching an incompatible behavior. It's teaching the dog how to handle the actual problem thing. Yes, I agree with you. And that relates to whether it's a an enjoyable behavior or a sensitized behavior. Yeah. Yeah. It's remarkable the conversations I've had around this where I've talked about punishment and my curiosity around the disdain of the use of punishment. I guess when I've had a look at people that have been online, a part of disdain that I have for some of those people who have got very vocal thoughts around this is many of these people have trained less than five dogs in their entire career. Yeah. And I'm talking a large part of them have got one dog, which they've been successful with, with some sort of reemergence of a certain type of behavior and transform the dog into another type of behavior. Now I question as you did before, how hard was that behavior ingrained in the dog in the first place? Mm. I think with people like that, the very dangerous advice is when they're offering people. And it seems remarkable that they have such a large following of people that they've generated such a, a huge interest. Something that keeps popping up from time to time, which you made a good statement of, and I really, it really resonates with me. And I thought a lot about it when you said it at the time. And it's interesting that it obviously resonates with other people is the complication with people who have reactive dogs and love the lifestyle that it's now created for them. They love the light that it's brought to them as a person. Like suddenly I was obscure 
but now I'm not. I'm mm. seen and I'm heard. Mm. And I'm not saying that's everybody. There are certainly people who they endure and love this new lifestyle and this new personality that they've become through this horrific beginning that they started with. Mm. In some of those situations, you're right. I know this is a sensitive topic and it's probably triggering people to listen to this, but becoming a celebrity from mishap, is that really the limelight that you wanted to chase? (laughs) Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, I think that is a... That's a big conversation around It's a that. big conversation. I'd, I'd like to have an expert in that field weigh in on that because it's certainly something I've observed heaps. And I think for the most part, even away from the social media light that that can bring people when they've got the reactive dog page or whatever, but the overwhelming majority of dog reactivity that we see is handler caused, yep. right? Like the overwhelming majority. And most people's attempts to manage it and fix it actually make it worse And a lot of people, they just interact with dogs in a way that brings on arousal that isn't appropriate in dogs. The over, like lots of people do that. You know what I mean? It's still amazing to me how many people can't be around a dog without bringing it up in arousal. They can't just be near a dog. You know, people come to the house or whatever, and they want to sort of agitate the dog and pat it, like just pat it in a really rambunctious way. Mm. And then when the dog comes up in a super high level of arousal, they're like, stop that. I don't want that. Right. And so I think that that's one of the things that so many people don't realize that the reactivity that they're causing in their dogs that they bring on themselves. And I think that it's a different thing. But born of that is the type of person that you know, must not fix the reactivity because they need it because it's a part of their personality. They're the person that has the reactive dog. I'd love to have a conversation with someone who could speak to that. And like I said at the time, people that think that's not a real thing, you're, you're fucking kidding yourself. There's people that poison their own kids because they like having the sick kid. Like for sure there's people who by accident or on purpose keep their dog unwell so that they can continue to be the person that has the dog that is like that. I'm sure it's come up in conversations before on various different episodes and probably a lot more in the past when I was watching it back then. But have you seen the movie Whiplash? Yeah. I think we talked about it with Cameron Ford when he was here. Mm-hmm. I, I watched about the it, drama. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I watched it again. It's a very powerful movie and it's a confronting movie. Mm. It takes a lot of nerve to be able to sit through it. And J.K. Simmons, who's the – he plays a guy called Fletcher, who's the music teacher in that. He's a real – protagonist in that mm. in that movie. There's a section in there where he's getting the band to play this jazz lineup and he puts his fist up in the air, which means stop. And he says to the group, okay, someone's out of tune. And it's this long, arduous discovery of who's out of tune, but his temper escalates. Like he really starts abusing the players and he rips into this one kid and literally sacks him from the lineup, says, get the fuck out. Mm. As the kid walks out of the room, he says, it wasn't him, it was you. And he goes, and it's worse that you didn't even know it was you. Mm. When I saw that, it makes me think about people in those sort of discussions where we're talking about dog training is that some people are having very lengthy and life conversations on social media about this but don't know they're the problem. Mm. They don't know that they're the antagonist in the entire situation. There are some of that content that I really do enjoy. And I love it because there's no fuckery around it. There's people who are very honest about their journey. They've shared that part of it and they've told people, this is what happened with my dog. This is what I caused. This is the journey that we've been on. Those sort of conversations, I love them and I admire them. They're vulnerable and they're raw and they're really telling it. And I wanted to say this as as a bit of a side caveat because some people might hear this and say, oh, fuck, 
Pat and Glenn are talking about me. If you're the sort of person who has shown people what happened, how you avoided it, the conversations you've had and the progress you're making, you're not that person. Mm. If you're a sort of person who is extremely limited in your understanding and resources and your access to dogs and yet you're giving people life advice and even criticising them for using training techniques that you didn't have to use or you didn't need to use, you're kidding yourself. Like you are literally destroying the confidence of thousands, millions of people who are out there who I see and I can tell you you're crushing them. Like you are fucking crushing these people. They are scared to leave their house. They are terrified, absolutely terrified of the ongoing and relentless criticism that they're going to receive when they're trying their best to try and keep that dog in their house. Mm. And these aren't cruel motherfuckers either who are lining their dogs up to set them up to hurt them. These are genuine people who love that dog and want every fucking opportunity available to them to fix the problem. So stop it. This is literally me telling you, pull your head in. You need to stop doing what you're doing because Mm. some of these people will never, ever leave the threshold of their door with their dog anymore and that dog will suffer and they will suffer eternally. You have given them a 10-year home prison sentence, them and the dog because of that. And that doesn't need to happen. I know that was a very intense conversation. I'm feeling intense about this. <laughs> I do feel intense about this because I'm sick of seeing people with the limitations on, on access to this. It gets to me on a really high-level emotional level. I don't like being led by my emotions and these type of things, but I really I'm getting to a point where I'm sick of it. Mm. I'm sick of seeing people feeling that there's no hope when there's plenty of hope. They've just been cut off from accesses in this. Mm. I'm not romanticising the use of punishment. I don't like having to use punishment unless it's absolutely necessary to use. It still needs to be considered as part of the matrix. It happens around us. It happens to us. It happens in life. It's something that you can't prevent. Mm. If you're going to use it, use it ethically. Understand it. You made a good point about it before. There's not enough people who are teaching it right because people are being taught to fear it rather Mm. than understanding how to harness it and use it effectively and then being able to move on quickly from it. Mm. And that's what I love is when the dog can move on quickly from it and go, well, I don't want that to happen again. We'll make better choices, my friend, Mm. and it never will. Yeah. I keep referring back to the horse in the paddock scenario. Horses don't keep hitting the fucking fence. They stop it after two times. Mm. They touch one location. They go to another location. They say, it's best in my life not to touch this fence anymore. You know, animals work it out. They're pretty smart. When there is enough of an influence to prevent them from repeating the behavior, they'll look elsewhere. Mm. They go elsewhere and form other behaviors because they realize that's definitely not to my advantage. When in your life have you ever seen a horse leaning up against an electric fence and keep blasting itself? Yeah, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It would have to be sincere mental illness and an incapability of being able to move away from it. I agree. I have my own things to add to that and I want to throw fuel on the fire. Go ahead. I'm going to play devil's advocate just a little bit and offer uh, just other information because- I think that me and you are imagining like worst case dogs because we deal mostly in worst case dogs, right? For you to leave the premises here and go to do an in-home behavior consult like you did today and that triggers you to feel- No, it was here. Like, here. It came here. Okay, but so still for you to be out there training a dog, that's an extreme case. Like you're not going out there for the average normal dog, right? No, it was to train my staff because they were worried about the intensity of the dog. So there you go, right? Mm. So this is a, it's a very it's a very pointy end. Mm. Other people have tried and failed. The dog has been talked up as being very dangerous. There's a lot of things that led to you 
having to be involved in that case as a person in your position here with your experience and your like actual job title. They're the kinds of dogs that we're talking about in regards to this prolonged fucked up life that comes of non-use of punishment and unwilling to do anything other than throw cookies at the dog, right? But what I do want to acknowledge and sort of talk about is that a lot of people who get called out to do in-home behavior stuff and they've got reactive dogs, any form of training is all the dog needs. Mm. You know what I mean? So like whether that training involves tools or not, and whether it's very good or not, the overwhelming majority of dogs that have in-home behavioral problems, more often than not, when you say to people like, hey, you're just going to have to train this dog, and they're like, oh, what should I train him to do? And you say, it fucking doesn't matter, anything. Like you just need some inwards focus because all these problem behaviors that you're observing is because your dog's so outwardly focused because you don't reinforce him in any way. Mm. Aside from dumping his food once a day or twice a day or whatever, like that's the only time that the dog looks to you as having any value. And all of the digging and the barking and the reactivity and the destroying of your house and all that kind of shit will go away the moment that you start playing with the dog or just training the dog, do some obedience, like teach him tricks. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. Depending on the type of dog might indicate the type of play you're going to allow the dog to be into. Mm. But so I think a lot of people who would be listening to you and I saying, well, you've got to use the tools and you've got to apply punishment and all of that, and they're saying, that's bullshit, I don't do that. That's I agree with you if you're dealing with that kind of stuff, which is the huge majority of dog training. Like a fucking huge majority of dog training is, as you talk about all the time, like that positive first approach where you just turn up and the dog's just an unruly young dog and you just say to people, oh, you just got to do some training. Load some markers. It'll turn the dog in towards you instead of the dog being outwards. And now the dog will start prompting you for things and you start asking him to do stuff. And I think this is the sort of core of where the quote that you read at the start sort of comes from. And I Mm -hmm. think that's sort of, you know, because I've agreed with that in the past and I do agree with it in specific context where- I largely agree with it. I I stated that at the start. I think I like the quote. Yeah. It just felt incomplete to me. Yeah, that's right. And Mm. I think it leaves certain dogs off the table, right? Like it leaves a fair bit. And they're the ones that are the the problems that go unmanaged by other people and- Mm. It's a blessing when we do end up in touch with the people because it means that they've not given up despite usually some other trainer telling them to, right? Mm -hmm. Or saying that this is a lifelong management case or you're just not doing it correctly, all that kind of shit. Martin Wright posted a video the other day. Of the energy shield person? Yeah. Yeah. And like I've seen the full version of that. Jay showed I know. I saw you or your explanation and it added a whole new different um, perspective to it. So in the video, you see this woman just get creamed. She like puts up her energy force field. Well, you need to to tell what the- So in the video, this lady just puts up this energy force field. And the the clip that Martin put up- Trust me, this relates to dog training, right? Yep. We, we, we could have it back, right? <laughs> the clip that Martin put up has this lady doing the energy force field and it's taking the piss out of her because then she puts the force field around herself and this guy just com- demolishes her, right? Like runs straight through her and she gets smashed to the ground. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, but in reality, in the, the full-length clip, she's the student and he is the teacher and he's like teaching them about his bullshit, kung fu, chi, whatever, create the force field, blah, blah, blah. And encourages her to do it, tells her she's doing a great job, and then just obliterates her, runs through her, knocks her to the ground, badly injures the lady, 
and then tells her that she didn't do it well enough, right? Like she didn't believe in it well enough and that's why he was able to, to break through it. Mm. And it's terrible, right? And in the end of the clip, they actually all turn on him and tell him to fuck off, right? The whole like student group. Although I think a couple of people end up sort of still discipled to this guy and saying, yeah, fuck her, it's her fault. She didn't keep up the, the, the force field well enough, right? If you want to see more of that sort of shit, go to McJojo Life oh, where the they best. expose all of the frauds in martial arts. It's the best. Yeah. But- the thing is, like, it's really we see it the same in the dog training space where people get told, like, no, no, you just have to keep doing this, you just have to keep doing this, and they try it and they believe in it and they're a hundred percent on board until they just get creamed and the dog's not fixing and the dog's bitten them now and there's all these issues and it's like, no, nope, you're you're just not doing it, like you're just not committing, you're, you're not you're putting doing the force totally up. wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think. That's what me and you were whinging about, right, is those cases. Because I want to play devil's advocate and I want to acknowledge that heaps of dogs that owners will say, oh, I've got all these big issues with my dog. It's actually very tiny issues and it's just that they haven't fulfilled the dog in any way, shape or form. I think you mentioned it before and you may have mentioned it exactly the way I'm going to talk about it or in a modified version. But a lot of these dogs develop these behaviours because it's the only way to get your attention. Mm. And it's the same thing with young children. Young children do behaviours that you don't want because it's the only way for you to fucking look at them. Mm -hmm. They will draw on things or they'll kick things over because even negative attention is still attention. And dogs will do that largely. And as you said before, teaching them an incompatible behavior to that and teaching them that's not the way to get attention anymore. You can do it by this. And largely all those behaviors go away. Mm. So once again, just to reiterate and another caveat before we go any further is I didn't put that post up to mock it or the author. I like the majority of the post. And again, repeating myself and several times as I am, because I know I'm going to cop heat over this episode is I put it up there because I want discussion around it and I want to know why there is so much evasiveness around punishment. That's Mm. really the leader into this question Mm. is, yes, I know that people have seen horrific abuse. Abuse and punishment, in my mind, are two different things. They always have been. You're talking about abuse. You're talking about people who are excessive and people who have lost control or don't know what control is or don't know how to level out. And then the danger of that where people say, yeah, but on your journey to learning that, well, there's a danger in all of that. There's a danger in, as you pointed out before, in in compulsively reinforcing everything known and not known and creating all of these behaviors, compatible, incompatible, whatever they are. You're creating a range of behaviors that you don't then know how to control that you didn't know was going to escalate to the point it's got to. So we can have this conversation backwards and forwards. The main part of this is... I guess is to open dialogue up with people is what are you so afraid of? Why did you, and how did you become so afraid of it? What led you into it? Is something that's happened to you personally? Like I got knocked around when I was a kid by my stepfather. He was very heavy handed on me. I'm not, I'm open about that. He was a cruel son of a bitch. Sometimes I know what feeling out of control is. I know what it's like to be a child and have an adult parental figure getting stuck into you. I know what that feels like. It's not something I want to manifest into anybody else. It's why I didn't have children because I was afraid that I may pass that on. I never have. I haven't done it to the dogs and I haven't done it to my wife or, or anybody that's smaller than me. I'm a reasonably strong person and I've never tried to inflict that dangerously upon other people. And I've sought ways and I had good mentors in early martial arts to learn how to control myself. So I'm a person that should be a violent son of a bitch. I'm that sort of person. What I'm trying to say is we're all capable of doing better and being better. 
if the chances are given to us and mentoring and education and teaching are presented to themselves. I know this as a fact because I'm living fucking proof of it. Why do you reckon, though? Because that is taught at university level. Don't use punishment. It, punishment doesn't work. I don't know. I don't know how the world became like that, that they want to play pretensies about punishment. Yeah. I just don't understand it. And Like, and I think it's fair enough to say you don't want to. Like, I think that that's- I, I agree with that. You made a really good point many episodes ago where you said that, and I agree with that. I thought that was a really well thought out response is you don't want to. And I get it. And I advocate and I say it and I'll sing it from the mountain. I don't really want to either. An NDTF student said to me a while ago when I was talking about the use of punishment, they said, gee, you really sound like you love punishment. And I said, well, I actually fucking don't. I don't like it and I'd rather not do it, but I just don't see a way around it with some of these dogs unless I'm just prepared to euthanize them and be done with the problem. Mm. I was in a system where that was the answer to the problem before is euthanize the dog. Holy shit. If I've given the opportunity for a clip around the ears or a lethal injection given to me, I know which one I'm choosing. Do you think that the people who are really anti-punishment in all of its forms, tools and the whole lot, do you think they imagine it to be worse than it is? Or do you think that even at what you and I would do, even at that level, it's... They must have seen something. There must be something. Their education in it must be horrific. They, they must have seen awful abuse or being involved in some sort of personal awful abuse. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. But what I do know is fear is very infectious. Yeah. And where it spreads like... It has spread like wildfire on the internet. Since we've had social media, fear motivates people like crazy it really does because the amount of people who've talked to me about tools, I said, oh, what's your experience when they've had this really adverse response to tools? I said, curious, what's your experience in them? I have none. Where did you find out about them? Friends of mine have spoken to me about it and I've seen things on social media. Mm. Now, immediately they're fearful of it because of the precipice that somebody else has put on it. Now, we could be talking not even secondhand information, but fucking 10th hand information. Mm. And this is the monkeys with the bananas point that you've made a couple of times. We've talked about that subject. There's too many monkeys that have gone down the line of this belief system without any actual evidence around it whatsoever. The sad thing is, the sucky thing is, it's an act of desperation for some of these people to think about punishment and then the fear around it and the anguish that they have to go to leading up to the trust to give someone like me the opportunity to do it, Mm. only to see it worked. And then you don't just see relief on their face, you actually see a form of disappointment come over it. This is why I'm angry at the moment. Mm. It's not that you see that person feeling, oh, my God, it worked. You just see them sitting there looking at you with a stunned face like, is that it? Well, it's not only that. I think sometimes they look at you like, I am a piece of shit, aren't I? That I let it go this long and I've had to do all this other stuff. I'm not saying that's everybody. I'm not saying that's the entire group of people I met. But it frazzles me. You look at the dog and, I mean, I could show people this on video. It's it's filmed on our video system on the in the shed and in the backfield. They could see exactly what I did with the dog. It's nothing horrendous. Mm. You know, like it was probably, if I timed it, it would probably be maybe two seconds. Mm. That's it. And that's all it really took of the worst type of correction the dog probably got. Yeah. Two seconds. And the dog was going, oh, I don't want that to happen again. Mm. And, I, and went, I know how to avoid it. I don't know how to avoid it. Then yeah. That's right. I gave the dog the means to escape having to do it again yeah. and pushing it into a more compatible behavior. But I just don't like 
what I see from the owner when I look at their face and I expect them to smile. And she did say, she immediately said when she saw how well the dog was responding to the other dog. And I'm not saying this is an ego thing. This is frustrating me. I'm frustrated talking about this. She said to me, that's much better than at any other time with any other trainer, Mm. like significantly better. But she didn't look happy and that wasn't making me feel good. Mm. You know, I was feeling good. I mean, it's always good for my ego when I know that I can fix this dog. And I told her at the start, I said, this is going to sound really arrogant. I'm actually quite good at this. Like I've done this for a long time and I get good results with this, but it's not going to be cured today. There is a process here and I still have to teach you to become the fisherman. But it's just the face, Pat. It's the face that they make. And, it's yeah. you know, it's men and women and people of all ethnicities and all types and ages, when I see that look on their face, it's just the fucking horror. Mm. You expect them to smile, and they do eventually. The smile returns when they feel like they can do it and they're back in control, and that's a nice feeling, but the first lesson is not. Mm. The first lesson is not a good lesson. Well, I think there's a lot sort of being unpacked in their mind at that time. I'm not sure if this is the right word, but I think that a lot of the educators around not using – compulsion of any kind. I think it's nihilism. I think that's the word because they all do it, right? Mm. So, I mean, we've had some of the big names in force-free dog training on our show who have told us things off air that would sink them, but they don't teach it. And I think that a lot of them, I think nihilism's the right word, is they think so poorly of the human race that they think that they're the only ones that should be allowed to use the tools or use punishment or use compulsion in any way because anyone else that does it will abuse a dog. That sounds like dog breeding. Well, you know, you see it in groups. So like I saw, it's just in the inner West dog owners group, right? Mm. So like, it's not even a training group, but it, you know, that's a, it's all force free people in there. You ask for a trainer. There's a lady in there that went crazy about me years ago saying that she had to fix all the dogs that I ruined and all this kind of stuff. And like, like I've never heard of her. I look her up. She runs a puppy school like two hours away. Like I, I, I highly doubt you're, <laughs> me and you have ever had a shared a client. Like I highly doubt it. But anyway, there's a guy in there just asking about getting another dog and that he, uh, I think the, I can't remember the exact post, but like his, his work hours had changed and he was now no longer working at home so much and he was going to be working more at, away in the office, just normal work day, mm. and was asking about whether people thought that he should get another dog, right, like to keep his other dog company. And if you look at the comments, the comments are all like, there's an assumption that he's doing the wrong thing. You know, there's dozens of comments. By the time I even saw the post, there's like make sure that you have adequate space and time and all like all these sort of like accusations of that he is going to fuck up two dogs instead of just have one dog. I commented. It's rare that I comment in that, but I'm sort of trying to be more active on Facebook. I can explain why if people care, but why? Well, I'll finish this and I'll explain. But I said, I wrote in there, I said, Hey man, you want a second dog? Get a fucking second dog. Why not? The only thing better than one dog is fucking two dogs, right? (laughs) But don't get a dog for your other dog. If you want a dog, get two. Get 10 of the fucking things for all I care. Mm. Fuck yeah. Get more of them. Open a kennel. Move to the country. Have a thousand dogs. Yeah. But make sure they're for you. Like don't get a second dog for your other dog because maybe those two dogs get along awesome or maybe you play crate and rotate for the next 15 years. Yep. Right? But we don't know. And there's things you can do to sort of steer the ship in one way or the other, but it's going to be what it's going to be. So if you want a second dog, get a second dog, but you know, whatever. And like people fucking hate reacting on my comment, but because people are demanding, like just the assumption is he's going to do wrong by two dogs. 
this guy who's just asking, hey, what do you guys think? Should I get a second dog? And I think that in a lot of those communities, I think it's nihilism, I think that's the right word, is that there's the assumption that everybody else is bad and that I'm the only good one. And that's why there's a lot of like, no, you can't use the tools, you can't use punishment, you can't do any of that. I secretly do because I'm a better person than you. I'm the good guy, but you're the bad guy. And if you use it, you'll abuse dogs, but I'm the good guy. I won't. And that's why they, they keep it from their audience. They won't let their audience like know that they do those kinds of things. It's because they think so poorly of mm. human beings and the society on mass that they're like, no, you will do it poorly. So you can't do it, but I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm the good one. Isn't that insidious? Well, I think that's the case. I don't, I don't know. I'm fucking mm. making it up and I'm a dickhead. I don't, I don't know shit, but, <laughs> but that's, that's the feeling I get. That's the feeling I get, especially when I talk to people who are like, oh, no, no, no. But like they acknowledge to me, oh, yeah, look, this is, you know, it's gone too far with these fucking people, but what can you do? And I'm just like, well, you created it. They're on your ship. Mm. You're the one that, that fucking all aborted them and told them like, hey, you don't ever need to use the tools and then showed them a dog that you secretly used the tools on and told them that was what was achievable. That's the fucking worst. And the reason I stopped, rep- I'll tell you, so I'm, I'm starting to do it now. But the reason I stopped really engaging very much on other people's posts and social media was it was maybe two years ago when I stopped was because there was a, a, a comment. I can't even remember where it was, but it was someone asking for help with something and they were getting trolled pretty hard, like getting not helpful answers. So I spent like a good nearly three hours writing a very long, thoughtful response, answered the question. They deleted their post and my comment fucking disappeared. And I was like, well, I'm done with that. I'm not giving away help like that for you to then delete it. And my three hours of fucking work to help you and others is gone. Mm. Like, I'm not doing that. I've realized recently that I'm restricting myself and others by doing that. So I'm, I'm trying to be more helpful if and where I have the opportunity to be so. That's very noble of you, sir. Well, I'm trying. Mm. Just, I'm just trying to live one day at a time, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Just well, try to get I actually feel day. a little decompressed after getting that out of my system because it just it happens to me frequently when I go through these lessons is that I just see that look and it's the look where I just think I turned around and looked at you and expected you to be smiling and expected you f- to be relief but it's it's sort of like answering one question only to have 10 more. Yeah, but it's like I think that the reason they probably feel that, my guess, is that it's disappointment that they're like like, and not in you, but you're- No, that's you're, what I'm saying. They're not disappointed with me. Like she she couldn't stop thanking me, but it wasn't, it was just that, I, I guess that burned look in her face. Yeah. And it's just one of experience. People are probably listening to me going, come on, get off your horse, Glenn. You've seen this a thousand times and that's the fucking problem. I've yeah. seen it a thousand times. I don't want to see it a thousand and one times. Yeah. I just feel sorry for these people that they just, they literally have to go to the last fucking door to knock on to finally get- some relief like yeah. it's, it's the last solution why is it the last solution but, but I why to... isn't it given as a consideration of options yeah your point before maybe that nihilistic i think approach. that's why and explore it with me because i think mm. I, I don't know if it's marcus aurelius epictetus i can't remember but they say that like you suffer more in your imagination than in reality and so i think that when people like very often when people have people come around to their home they got the reactive dog and they're being told don't correct the dog it's all throw cookies all over the floor and whatever 
they often get told, don't do this other thing because of how horrible it is and how it'll make the dog worse and all this kind of stuff. They hear that over and over and over. And there's this imagined torture that's going to happen to the dog. Yeah. And then when it's not that, when it's just a quick correction, the dog radically alters behavior. They're like, I have been building up, like I've been creating suffering that needn't be there. And I think that's why you see people that are not elated that you fix the issue, but are actually disappointed at the whole situation rather than like, right. Of course she'll be happy tomorrow. Right. Mm. Like when she can manage the dog correctly and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and as she starts making progress towards ultimately having the dog that, you know, she wanted. So that's a long-term thing. Right. But in the short term, it's just like an unraveling of everything that, you know, that's what's happened mm. because when people have been told that, you know, this is a fact, this is the fact and don't do this. And then when you eventually give up and go, fuck it, well, I have no other choice then it's like, fuck, everything that I've been doing has been wrong. And you imagine the time wasted, they imagine the money wasted, and they imagine the actual suffering that they put their dog through to avoid the imagined suffering that turned out not to be anything like what they imagined at all. Mm. So there was real suffering of prolonging the stress, having to manage and contain the dog rather than actually helping the dog through the issue. So I feel like that's why you see people just go flat and they're like, fuck, like they've got to confront the reality that they've been lied to and that they've made a problem worse when they could have fixed the issue a long time ago. Mm. Thank you for your therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try. Well, it's good. I actually feel a little bit relieved. Again, it's just one of those things and I don't really want to come into the podcasting studio and begin an episode with something that I'm you're already aroused in a negative way <laughs> because – it can either lead to interesting discussion or it can lead to some problem discussion. Mm. It's one of the quotes that we have here in, in the organisation is never make a decision when you're really, really happy or when you're upset. Mm. Make it when you're level-headed and you're thinking clearly. And I try and do that even in lessons that I have, I can feel like emotion and welling up in me. And I even say to people, what we're doing here shouldn't be based on emotion. I'm thinking, you're contradicting what you're saying. You're, you're feeling emotional already, like you're feeling... Mm. There's things that, that are circulating around in your head. But I guess as human beings and I guess as feeling and thinking creatures, it's very hard not to be in that space. Mm. So then I can imagine, well, if I'm feeling it and I'm the professional here giving out the advice, I can only imagine what you're feeling. Yeah, totally. Mm. Totally. Good place to leave it. Hey, that's it. for Another episode of The Canon Paradise. A spicy one. Well, you like to have a spicy one every now and then. Yeah, I think that it's relevant. I, mate, I think that in, I think that the dog space at the moment's in a really interesting transition. Um, yeah, I think mm. the pendulum's swinging the other way. Yep. Here's a prediction for you. I think that a lot of the people who have been saying that they are plus R, force free trainers, whatever, are in the next eighteen months going to out themselves as balanced trainers. And I think that for many reasons, but I think that they have realised that they're liars and that they're slinging the ship and that they've not been completely transparent mm -hmm. with their audience about the way that they train dogs. And now they've backed themselves into a corner where they need to figure out a way to come out from that and say to their own audience and people who follow them and say like, Hey, you know, you could do this and slowly write the ship or they're going to be caught by their own people doing the things that they have said not to do. Yep. And I think that's coming. There's plenty of people that I look at their accounts and I watch their work and I think to myself, I would be very sceptical on whether they're using plus R training based on how I can see the dog responding to them and the situation and the environment around them. Now, yeah. I could be wrong. I'm not there. 
but I've got plenty of skin in this game. I've been around for a while. I've travelled around. I've trained with a lot of people. I've flip-flopped in and out of systems before. I'm pretty confident when I see what I see, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And you and I have had those discussions. Like, oh, many times. And, and there's times where we're looking at the same thing and we both think to ourselves, some of these things just aren't like the other things. The amount of times that I've sent you a video without prompting and just said, do you see what I see? And yep. without saying what I see, just tell me what is interesting to you in this video. And you say, oh, they've done this, this, and this. And I'm like, that's what I thought too. Yeah. I see that also. Yeah. It's just genies that can't get stuff back in the bottles. You yep. can't unsee what you're seeing. Yeah. What you are seeing or what you believe you're seeing is this elaborate hoax that's on now online for everybody to believe it's one way when it's really been the other way. Yeah. It's disappointing. What is it about that that you had to do that? Why did you have to do that? Is it Are you trying to win the fancy of a certain type of crowd or people? That's or exactly it, what it is. That's exactly what it is. Wow. That's exactly what it is. Like I say, the amount of people, it's because they don't think you can be trusted to do it. Mm. They can, and so they will secretly use the tools, but they'll think everybody else shouldn't because they have such little respect for other people. Mm. Anyway, that's it for another episode of Cat on Proton. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is Patreon. A few bucks a month gets you extra content in there. As well as, you know, you could pay 10 bucks and get a, access to the live stream. Or if you want to buy me a Lamborghini, that would be cool too. Or, or just help us pay our monstrous tax bill. Yeah. Off. Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We are broke again. Uh, our problem's not your problem. I'm not yeah. trying to say that. But yeah, we just got our backsides lubed up and yeah. ready for the proctologist to visit us. Yeah. Turns yeah. out the government want their cut. Yes. Also, buy a t shirt. Mm. Why not? They're cool. We still pay tax on that. Yep. But yeah, buy a t-shirt. They're rad. If you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is jump into the discussion group. It's the, the Canine Paradigm discussion group on Facebook. The numbers still amaze me. The downloads, the numbers, like social media and downloads and stuff, it amazes me how you can carry like uh, different numbers, different places. Mm. It's still super interesting. So anyway, jump into the group, jump into the Facebook discussion group. That's where the cool discussions are being had. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It's a great pool of people, like-minded people who are respectful and courteous to each other. And they put up interesting topics to talk about. And uh, like you said, I don't comment there a lot, but I do read what people are putting in there. And I am interested to see what conversations are taking place. And some of them are fantastic. And Mm. some of you guys are the people who generate these discussions. Like when I, when we see what you're writing in there, we get together and sit in the kitchen before we do the show. And we think, did you see this comment? Yep. Let's talk about that. That's the show topic for the day. Totally. Mm. All right. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can shoot us an email. We are info at the canonparadigm.com. Goodbye. (laughs) 